As I look at my message today, I want to start with a story. In, in 1884, a couple made an appoint, appointment with the president of Harvard to uh, meet with him to discuss making a donation in memory of their son, who had recently just died from typhoid. The president of Harvard was George Eliot. He was a very, very busy man, an important man, hard to get a hold of. And uh, he made room in his day, his busy day, to see this couple. And as they came into his office, as he welcomed them into his office, he took a few minutes and he just, he kind of barely looked up. The story goes that he barely looked up, barely, barely showed them the time of day. And, uh, and he took one look at them and he looked at their disheveled appearance and he looked at how they were, uh, looked like they were just simple folk, farm folk, urban, uh, not from the larger areas, probably rural. And he made a quick judgment that they didn't really have a lot of resources and they were wasting his time. And so he quickly, he was very impatient, quickly asked them how much of a scholarship they wanted to set up in their son's name, to which they replied they had hoped to do something a little more significant, like perhaps contribute to a building or a, or a larger program uh, on the campus. And Elliot knew that a building program took a lot of money and expertise. And this rural couple obviously didn't have the wherewithal to take on a building program and kind of see it through to the end. And he concluded the meeting and, and he said, he, he basically said, you know, the, the, the university right now has no need for a building. Uh, we're, we're right where we need to be. He thanked them for uh, coming in and he just said, unfortunately, this time it's just not a good fit. And he kind of rushed them out of, the, out of their office. And so the couple leaves in tears because of the disrespect that they were shown the disrespect to their son. They, uh, Elliot never even took time to hear their story, never took time to hear their dream or their vision or what was stirring in their life or to hear about uh, the legacy of their son. And um, what Elliot didn't know at the time was that he'd made a huge mistake because the man was not of just meager knee, uh, means, not just a, a rural, simple farmer. He was, in fact, a lawyer who had considerable wealth and influence. And they looked so disheveled because they had hopped on a train from California and spent a week straight on the train to get out to Harvard in order to meet and have this uh, meeting with uh, George Eliot. And they had done this shortly after the loss of their son. They were fresh in grief fresh from all this travel, and, and it had taken a toll on them emotionally and physically. And uh, when they came to see him right away, Elliot made this quick, rash judgment. But not only was the man a lawyer, but he was also the president of the Central Pacific Railroad. And he actually owned the train that he rode in out to Harvard. And not only was he a lawyer and the president and owner of the largest railroad in the U.S., he was also the governor of California. And his name was Leland Stanford. And when he got back home to California, the Stanfords donated 8,000 acres of land in the Palo Alto Valley and $26 million, which in 1884 today would be worth billions of dollars to start Stanford University in memory and in honor of their son. And George Eliot and Harvard never saw a cent, 
They never, they never experienced any of the influence or the blessing of partnering with the Stanfords. They never saw any money and they missed out uh, an incredible opportunity, all because George Eliot was having a busy day and he was self-important and he looked up and he made a rash, quick judgment on somebody. He looked at them and he instantly put them in a category and dismissed them. And I wonder how many times we make a similar mistake. How many times we do something like that. We all know that we shouldn't judge a book by its cover, and yet we do it every day. We, we can so easily pass judgment on others. I know some of you are judging my shirt right now. I, uh, I had a very busy week, and I needed all the help I could get, so I got a new shirt, um, just so my sermon would uh, go a little bit better. Uh, so I know some people have said, oh, you're going for the flower power today. And, uh, uh, you know, one, one person said, oh, your shirt's going to be a stumbling block for me while you're up there preaching. And, uh, but we so easily, don't we? It's like we so easily can pass judgment on one another and these kinds of things. We judge the driver of the slow car in front of us because that person totally picked to just get in front of you and uh, ruin your day. Uh, we judge the tattooed person in front of us in line at Save On. We judge the panhandler with his hand open on the boulevard on uh, 97 and Banks and Barron area. We judge the mega church pastor who's now under investigation for some kind of misconduct. And we don't know the story. We don't know the background. We don't know the whole uh, scenario of the person's life or, the, or what's going on. But we just so quickly make the judgment. See, there's another one that just goes to prove. And it just flows out of us. And it's so easy to pass a quick judgment without knowing the person or the story. Well, Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he covers this topic. It's actually one of the things that he speaks about. And he says this in Matthew 7, 1 to 5. He says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help Get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. And Jesus says, hypocrites, first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Do not judge. It's one of Jesus' most famous sayings. Oh, we like to use that one. That's a great defense mechanism we like to hurl and throw out. That we Don't judge, don't judge. And even though it's one of his most famous, most repeated, quoted sayings, it's probably also one of the most misunderstood or misrepresented sayings of Jesus. And our series is called Words to Live By. And if we actually do take the words of Jesus and apply them to our life so that we base our life, we build our life, we shape our life according to what Jesus says, then we need to be sure that we not only understand what he's saying, but also what he's not saying. Because it's very easy sometimes to make assumptions and look at something on the surface and, and it's worthwhile to look a little bit deeper. So remember, Jesus is teaching the values 
and ethics of his kingdom. The ministry of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, is about establishing his kingdom. It's a different way. It's countercultural. And he begins to teach people, this, this audience of first century Jews, he begins to teach them on the new values, the new ethics of what it means to be in the kingdom of God, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means essentially to make Jesus your king and to be in alignment with that. And he's just finished teaching the crowd to focus less on seeking the approval of others and and instead be concerned about honoring God, honoring God in your heart, honoring God in your private where only he sees. And Jesus says, when you give, do it discreetly. When you pray, don't do it in public with puffed up words to impress others. And, and, and when you're fasting, don't complain about how hungry you are so everybody knows that you're fasting and thinks you're holy and look how important you are and, and how uh, good you are at the temple practices. Jesus gets right to the root of the issue and, and he speaks about these things in chapter six and we looked at some of these things over the last few weeks. He says, are your good deeds and your spiritual pursuits done to honor God Or are they done to gain the approval of others? And of course, we know this is highly relevant to a first century Jewish audience who are at the temple daily participating in practices and everybody else watching who's coming, who's going, how high are the hands, how loud is the praise, what's being given in the offering. And it it turns into this big, weird spiritual dynamic where people are earning one another's respect and others are judging. And Jesus, he carries this theme into chapter seven. He, he continues to teach about these things. But instead of speaking to the individual who has been seeking approval, Jesus now turns it around and he begins to teach to the larger crowd who are the ones handing out the approval or deciding maybe they won't give approval. And Jesus says to the larger crowd, you're the ones that are judging. Don't judge. Don't judge. And he says we shouldn't be judging one another. And uh, we can learn a few things about this passage. Judgment is grounded in the spiritual principle of we reap what we sow. This is a spiritual principle because it shows up in a number of passages. There's a number of examples. Jesus teaches about it. It shows up in other, in in the Pauline epistles. There's this idea of reaping what we sow. If we're quick to judge others, if we're harsh and critical, we'll receive the same treatment back from others. Verse 2 says, you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. There's some debate whether Jesus is speaking about that final judgment where Jesus is that judge when we kind of pass into eternity or if it's about judgment from others and and being judged in in, uh, relationships and, and people that we're friends with people in our life. And this is probably one of those instances where scholars would say that both interpretations 
or both applications of that verse actually can be true. And likely there's some spiritual truth in both of them. And when we read through the theme of what Jesus is speaking in these verses and in chapter 7, what we see is there is a very strong element of speaking about relationships, about speaking on this idea of sowing and reaping. If we're harsh, if we're critical, if we're judgmental, that that will come back on our life. This is in alignment with verse 12. Just a few verses down from here where Jesus says, this golden rule, do unto others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is sowing and reaping. This is investing in others, investing in relationships. It's the golden rule of scripture that sums up all the laws of the prophets. If we sow discord and judgment, if we're harsh and dismissive of others, we can expect the same back. If you want to be treated fairly, you must be fair with others. If you want to be trusted and shown the benefit of the doubt, we must do the same and extend that same grace to others. We create a sense of relational health in our world. The health of the relationships that we have are tied to this principle of sowing and reaping. And so we are, uh, we are wise to heed Jesus' words, words to live by, which is to think twice before we cast judgment. And it's not even, it's not even public kind of out loud spoken judgment. We all know that the first place we make a judgment on somebody is in our heart. We just so quickly can look at somebody and just dis, uh, dismiss them, cast them aside. There's no worth. There's no value. We put them in a category, put them in a box. All of that happens in our heart first. And Jesus has just come through this passage of scripture where he says you need to honor God in private. Honor God in your heart for only God can judge the heart. And so the other thing that we see about judgment here is that it blinds us to our own issues. Jesus asks a rhetorical question in verse three. Why worry about the speck in your brother's eye? Why worry about this little piece of sawdust, this little bit of dust in your brother's eye while you have a telephone pole in your own eye? He gives an exaggerated point. It's a somewhat even a Probably to the, to the Jews, it was probably humorous. They were probably wondering, like, what, what do you mean? What's going on? Like, what are you talking about? And, um, and oh, I hate that. <laughs> the, my shirt is uh, interfering with the microphone. Maybe just physically move, physically move the receiver over, Dave, down below. Check one, two. Can we just use a stick mic? Thanks. I'm a terrible multitasker, so just give, give me a second here. Jesus says that you've got this speck and you're seeing this speck in somebody's eye and you can't see because it's like you've got this log, you've got this telephone pole and, and it's sticking out and it's blinding you to your own issues. It's, it's blinding you. He says, stop worrying about your neighbor's grass and start taking care of your own backyard. Focus on what's important. Focus, stop focusing on finding faults with others 
And in fact, the more we focus on finding faults with others, the more blinded we become to our own issues and to our own struggles and our own things in our own heart. Have you ever noticed that it's much easier? It's actually, it's way more fun. I know this to be true. It's, it's way more fun to judge somebody else and judge somebody else's shortcomings than it is to like work on your own. Like who wants to do that? It's way more fun to talk about other people and to judge them and to trash talk them and to make all these, than it is to like actually get up and start my own eating plan or start my own discipline or, or you know, focus on my own life and I'm gonna create more space and more margin and, and all these things. The word judge is translated from the Greek word krino, which has a literal definition of a judge making a ruling in a court case. And the idea, of course, here, even in our legal system, is there's this idea that there's an impartial judge who is removed from what's going on. He's removed from, or she is removed from the problem or the issue being discussed. And two parties are conflicted with one another. And they share their story, and the impartial judge makes a judgment call, makes a decision, hears all the information, makes an assessment, and announces his judgment or her judgment. Well, imagine if Bob sues Frank because Frank's maple tree blocks the midday sun in Bob's backyard. And Bob is ticked off and he's going to deal with this and he's going to get Frank's maple tree cut down and he's really angry about it and so he sues him. Well, how is that court case going to work if Bob is also the judge? You see, we are biased. We're skewed. We can't actually think through and, and, uh, and, and see the information and see things correctly. And our own sin, our own humanness, our own struggles, the pressures of our own life, they bring a certain sense of bias over us. Psychologists call this cognitive bias, which in its simplest definition is unconsciously ignoring facts that don't line up with our own predetermined perspectives. What that means is you will unconsciously ignore things because it doesn't fit your view and we don't see the whole situation. We think we're making a balanced and rational decision, but it's based on selective information that already fits with our bias. We ignore the plank in our own eye and fixate on the speck of sawdust in our neighbors. And Jesus tells us, and he tells the Jews to stop judging one another because they're biased and they don't know the whole picture. And the point that Jesus is making is only God knows the heart. Only God knows the whole story. Only God is, is truly able to know the motives of the heart. And this brings us back to a more balanced understanding of what Jesus' instructions do not judge others is meaning and speaking of. Remember, Jesus is teaching first century Jews and his command is to stop their spiritual fault finding with one another and let God judge if their heart is in the right place or not. That's the context of what Jesus is speaking on. To stop judging people on how loud they pray or how many times they come to the temple that day to pray or how much money they put in the offering. Jesus' words in chapter 7 of Matthew are very clear. We should not judge others. 
but does that mean there's no place or context for ever judging someone or for ever making a judgment call in our life? And Jesus' words, do not judge in Matthew 7, are directed at careless, self-serving judgments. And they're not a blanket policy to avoid judgment in all situations. This is where it gets interesting. And this is where we look at the whole of Scripture. There are times in Scripture where it instructs believers to practice judgment. But to do it carefully, do it properly, do it wisely, do it graciously. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells us if two parties in the church are at an impasse, if there's been an offense, there's been a sin committed, and the, you're to go and talk to that person directly. Not everybody else, you go and talk to that person directly. If you're at an impasse and reconciliation cannot be reached, repentance cannot be arrived at, then it says you go and you take a few other people, impartial people who become mediators, and they sit and they listen. And they are to bring a judgment. They're to bring wisdom. They're to bring a sense of how do we move forward in this. And then the scripture says, if that doesn't work, then we need to come before the church and have the leaders of the church bring about a judgment to make a decision. This is in scripture. I've never had to do that before. I never want to have to do that. But it is a model in scripture where it does say there are times where a decision has to be made. And sometimes a judgment needs to be made over someone's life, even if they've become unrepentant and they've become hardened in their sin. Jesus says, this is how you handle the situation. And this is part of what we see in scripture. Over the years, I've had to have some difficult conversations with people who've served in leadership roles when their lifestyle is no longer in alignment or in agreement with the, the kingdom ethics or with the values of leadership or with standards of leadership. Sometimes uh, lifestyle changes, convictions change. And as a pastor, those are, those are very, very difficult conversations to have. And like it or not, fair or not, Scripture places higher expectations and accountabilities on leaders. And even says not all should seek to be leaders because there is a higher level of judgment. There's a higher level of expectation. And actually, we are to keep leaders accountable in the church. There's a higher level of accountability. And, and Maybe it's unfair. Maybe it's hard to live under those expectations. As a pastor, I feel the weight of those things. There's expectations on me. Sometimes there's expectations on me and on our pastoral staff, on our leaders in the church that we don't necessarily place on you. But that's part of the way it's set up. And at times, we do have to make a judgment call when it comes to leadership and to leadership roles. And I've learned that the first thing to do is seek to understand before being understood. I've learned it's always important to involve other people because I've had meetings like that and I thought they went well. And then I find out after they didn't go well at all. And I've discovered that it is good to have two or, or more witnesses to kind of be a part of that meeting, to help mediate it, to help facilitate it, to help bring some different perspective. And I've learned that it's always good to be as gracious as possible, to try for repentance, for reconciliation, and to work things out 
and in fact, trying to remove someone from leadership is the very, very last step. We never, ever want to do that. We want to model grace and, and help people and encourage people and support people and know everything has been done to try to reconcile. But the truth is, sometimes judgment calls in the body of Christ have to happen. We don't want to have to do that, but we, we will or we do or we have done that. And John 7, 24 says this, stop judging. This is Jesus' word. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. The NLT says, look beneath the surface so you can judge clearly. This is about not making a rash, quick judgment on somebody's life. This is about understanding what's going on, taking time, being gracious, doing it wisely, doing it redemptively. You see, there's a very big difference between a harsh, quick, critical, dismissive judgment and trying to sort through some difficult decisions. I'm gonna invite the band to come as we get ready to close. Uh, being a dad of three teenagers, three teenage daughters is, uh, is an adventure. And as a parent of teenage daughters, I judge the dudes that they're interested in. Because it's my responsibility as a dad. I've earned that right. And sometimes my daughters choose wisely and other times I'm not so sure and we have to navigate that but it's my job to figure out who this dude is and what is his life about because I'm her dad and I'm, I'm there to protect her and to oversee her life I judge the kids that they choose to be friends with. I judge the invitations to the sleepovers to Big White that they get invited on. I want to meet the parents. Ange meets the parents. We judge, if we're, is this really, like, is this a, a giant party that's going to happen? Or is this really just a couple of friends getting together with the family? And what's the vibe check? We have, like, the vibe meter. What's the vibe meter telling us? What's the spirit telling us? I judge all the time. But I try to judge for the right things. I try to judge wisely because it's part of what I have to do as a dad. I don't invest in every special opportunity that comes my way. I don't impulse buy because the salesman says this is a special price for you only and you can't get it tomorrow. I don't hire every contractor who gives me a quote and I know that there's value in a second opinion. And as a pastor, I can't lead the church into every idea or prophetic word or, or, you know, suggestion that comes my way. I have to make and you have to make hard decisions every day. We actually do have to make judgment calls and judgment decisions. 1 Corinthians 12.10, Paul says this, discernment is a spiritual gift. One of the gifts of the spirit that we function under is this idea of discernment. We live in a crazy, complex world. We need to be wise. 
1 John 4, 1 says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone into the world. 1 Timothy 4, 1, the spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things being taught by demons. We live in a crazy world. We've all come through the last couple years trying to find our way. Making a wise prayer covered, informed judgment call is very different than making a quick, harsh, dismissive, critical judgment. And that's the kind of judgment Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. That's the judgment that the Jews were making on one another. That he says, don't do that. And the words, do not judge, are actually best understood in that application. And to understand this, that as God's people, we have to make judgments. We have to make hard calls, hard decisions. It's never fun. I know this, oh, it's never fun to be judged by someone else. Church, no one is perfect. We have it on our, on our wall, nobody's perfect. And it's not an excuse, but we all fumble the ball once in a while. I've been hurt by others, and I know you've been hurt by others before as well. I know you've been on the wrong side of a quick, harsh, dismissive judgment call. And that is never fun. Relationships are tough. The church is being refined in our culture today. But living in spiritual community is the way Jesus designed us to be. We are the collective people of God. We are not all just individuals in God. We're a community. We're the church. We're his bride. He is the king and we are in his kingdom and we are in it together. And relationships are tough and they're messy and we all get it wrong sometimes. And I think that the words today do not judge. When we think of them as words to live by, it's simply this, can we just cut one another some slack? You deal with your stuff, I'm gonna to try to deal with my stuff, I'm not gonna worry so much about the speck in your eye. Let's extend some grace to one another. And when we do it, when we feel like maybe there's a friend or there's someone in your life and it's a difficult thing and you want to address it, you feel you need to address it, I think that there's, there's times for that. Those are hard things for us to be in, aren't they? When you see a friend living, making a decision that's outside of God, maybe in an unrepentant way, making some mistakes and you wanna say something, you don't wanna say something, I don't wanna judge him, but I really wanna, that's a hard place to be in. That's where we need the spirit. That's where we need the spirit's wisdom, discernment. And there are times where those conversations should happen, but we do it graciously. We do it in, in, in love, in patience. 
We do it to understand. And I think that this is a call for grace. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, can we live with more grace for one another? The world's got enough. We're, we, we take hits in the church enough from the outside world. Let's not do it from within. Let's be gracious with one another. And so if you've been, if you've been hurt or wounded and you know that somebody has judged you and maybe judged you so unfairly, we don't do ourselves any favors by holding on to that. So I want to pray over you. I want to take a moment just to pray over you that some of that, you could just have some of that released. Some of that could just be let go and surrendered. Could we just in this moment, Jesus, I pray for our community. Pray for those that are here who are a part of us. We know many of us have been hurt. Many of us have been judged unfairly by others. And at times we carry that way longer than the offense has happened. I pray, God, that you would help us to be gracious with one another. Under that principle of reaping and sowing and sowing and reaping, Lord, I pray that you would help us to sow seeds of grace seeds of understanding, seeds of love, of connection, of patience. And that Jesus, those things would grow up and flourish within our community. Let us make lots of room for grace. And at times as leaders, we have to make hard decisions. Our world is complex as the pastors and the pastor's council and our leaders, as we navigate some of these things, give us wisdom, Jesus. We need the gift of discernment. We need to hear from the spirit. What is the spirit saying? And Lord, may you grow up within us a multitude a flourishing of grace and patience and love, encouragement, and all those good things. Help us to guard our heart, to not be too quick to judge. Those are words to live by. In Jesus' name, amen.